morning, church. How we doing? I'm Scott Weatherford. Happy Easter. I hope you guys are having a great morning. I know we, we already have had one gathering, and we're going to have another one after this one. So if you just don't get enough, you can stay around for some more, all right? I'm so excited about today. I love Easter. I love the fact that we're celebrating our risen Lord. He is not dead. Come see the place where they have laid him. He is alive, and he rules and reigns in my heart and in your heart. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? Yeah, turn to your neighbor and just tell him, happy Easter. Will you do that? That's good. That's good. Now, we have some special guests with us today. We always have special guests. Uh, you're going to see more and more of these special guests in the days ahead. But we have some uh, pastors who are with us from Central America, from Colombia and Costa Rica. These are my friends, my pastor's friends, uh, Pastor Mario and his wife, Jalili. And they're from, uh, they're from Costa Rica. They're right over here in this corner. Y'all say hi to them. Yeah. So... Um, Pastor Mario, I, had, I got the chance to preach at your church in, uh, in Costa Rica, and the next time you come, you're going to preach here, okay? All right, in English. <laughs> he said I had to speak in Spanish next time I was there, so we're so glad you're here. And then we have uh, Pastor Nelson and his wife, Alexandria. They're here, right here, and they're from Colombia, so y'all welcome them, yeah. Now, Stay standing for a second. Uh, Pastor Nelson, uh, he was with me in Cuba. When we went to Cuba, we taught together, taught pastors together. And uh, he's also a pastor trainer, as in Pastor Mario is as well. And Pastor Nelson, I trusted him to order me lunch one day. And he ordered me goat. So now I call him Nelson. <laughs> but we love them. We're so glad they're here. Now, they speak... Uh, um, Mario and, and Nelson speak some English. Uh, Jalili and Alexandria do not speak much English at all, but they speak the language of love. And when we get to heaven, we will all speak Spanish. Right? Someone said we'll speak English because it takes eternity to learn. But, uh, but that's exciting. So I'm looking forward to today. We've been going through the series on the book of John and some of you are here for the first time. We're so glad you're here. Sometimes pastors make fun of people who come on Easter. I don't care. As long as you show up, I'm glad. We'll save you a seat and give you a cup of coffee, okay? So I'm just glad you're here today. We're going to have a lot of fun. But we've been talking about the signs that G John was writing to show us the deity of Christ. Now, John was there. He was an eyewitness. He saw it. In fact, in his, God, in his epistle, he said, we saw it with our eyes. We felt it with our hands. We, were, we, we smelled it with our noses. We were there with him. And John writes with such great passion. And he's building up to the place of the resurrection. And the resurrection was the ultimate sign of the deity of Christ. And it's the very thing we have been looking for all our lives. Not the historical evidence of the resurrection. I started to do that. I started to give you the historicity, but... I said, you didn't need that. I started to talk to you about all the theories of the resurrection that people have tried to explain. I said, ah, you don't need that. I think what you need is hope. You need hope. We need hope for a home for our hearts. There's this quote, all is lost when hope is gone. Viktor Frankl wrote a book about his experiences of the Holocaust. And he said, as long as there was hope, we had life. And then when hope is gone, and when people lost hope, they begin to die for no really explainable reason other than they ran out of hope. But I want to tell you something. Easter is a declaration. We have a God who's for us, who will not give up on us, who's given us his hope. And we gather on a hope-filled 
Easter. Now, we have a hard time explaining hope because we think it's an, uh, an emotion or a feeling or an expectation. We have an event or something like, I, I hope things go well. I hope the Aggies win the national championship or the Longhorns win the national championship or the Seminoles, my faithful Florida State Seminoles, get out of prison long enough to play for the national championship. So we, we have hope, but hope, listen, hope is not a feeling. Hope is a person. And that person named Jesus Christ rose from the grave to give us hope. The author of Hebrews said it this way, there is a hope that's strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. In other words, Jesus is the one who not only gives us hope, but gives us access to God, who is our very hope. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. Hope dies on a cross, refusing to stay dead, rises from the grave, and comes to live in your heart and my heart. I think all of us have faced dark seasons, seasons where we just didn't know how we were going to make it. Uh, this week, as a pastor, I've dealt with very, very difficult things. Very difficult things in families and things going on. And, and these families need hope. And over my years of being a pastor, I've faced situations that were just insurmountable. And what I'm going to tell you about, back when I was in Victoria, Texas, and we have some people from Victoria here. If you're from Victoria, holler out, will you? Yep, yeah, that's kind of weak. <laughs> They're usually a little more rambunctious than that, but uh, we're, we're glad you're here, guys. Uh, they were in our church back in the day. Uh, they lied this morning. They said, I haven't aged a bit. Let's pray for them. I had to give them a $20 bill, too, so let's pray for me. But back in Victoria, Texas, I was working with a couple that were really undergoing a lot of struggles in their marriage. And things were getting better, and, and uh, they were... On the, on the way to kind of reconciling. And in fact, they were on the way to reconciling. And he had given his heart to Christ, and I'd even baptized him. And we were working together. And I was with them a lot. And, and I really grew to love them. They became my friends. And then one night, just in a dark, miserable place, he took his life and just left us devastated. Like I remember getting the call. It was late at night, and I got the call. And you know, that's back when we had landlines, right? I got the call and he said, I went, oh, you know, my first reaction was I was mad. I said, dead gummit. We were right there on the cusp of a breakthrough. I was mad at Satan. I was mad at him. I was mad at the circumstances. I was just mad. And then, of course, I had to do the funeral. And so I, I did. And uh, there was hundreds of people there. And, and I preached a message of hope. And all the time, you, you know, sometimes... Y'all, being a pastor is not easy because sometimes you have to say things that you, you know they're true, but you don't feel like you believe them. Y'all going, what? Yeah. You know why? Because we're human. You ever look at your wife and grit your teeth and said, I love you, baby, okay? <laughs> Sweetheart, all right? So, you know, I, I gave this message of hope, and it, it was March, and, of course, Springtime in Texas is, is stunning. Y'all know that. The blue bonnets and the, the golden daffodils and the Indian paintbrush, it's just stunning here. And it was March and it was starting to bloom. And, but we had that last cold front come through, that blue norther. And it was raining cats and dogs, a frog choking rain. 
And I'd, while I was doing the funeral, it was pounding on the, the roof of the funeral home. And, and I was thinking, I got to go to the graveyard now and put this rascal in the ground. And I was mad. So we got finished. And of course, the graveyard was 30 minute, 30 minute drive away. And it was in Edna. Can I get a shout out? Anybody know where Edna is? Yeah, okay. So it was in Edna. And um, I was surprised that they got the water out of the hole because Edna's just barely above sea level. And so we drove there, and as we were driving, the northern pass and the sky cleared, and the rain stopped. And then as I round the corner to the graveyard, there was a rainbow coming out of the graveyard. And it looked like the rainbow was originating from the hole we were about to put this guy in. There was a rainbow in the graveyard. Now, some of y'all are thinking, like my daughter did once, she heard a preacher preaching, she leaned over, she was about eight, she said, Daddy, is he preaching or is that, is that true or is that just a preacher story? Well, this is true. And the rainbow was coming out. Of, it looked like it came. I had my stuff prepared to say at the graveyard. And that went away because I talked about the promise of hope. That in the midst of our darkest, most miserable season, we have a God who steps in for us. And there's nothing more dark or miserable than the King of kings and the Lord of lords being nailed to a Roman cross, side-pierced, head crowned with thorns, mocked and maligned, maimed and tortured, who rose again. From the darkness of a tomb came the glorious light of resurrection. And this morning, I want to take you on an adventure that lets you see that Jesus is our hope. Let me read what John wrote in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. This is what John said. Early on, Saturday, on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. Now, you all remember who Mary Magdalene was? She was a woman who had seven demons cast out of her, probably worked in the sex trade as a prostitute. And Jesus had liberated her, had freed her. Can you imagine the first person at the tomb was a prostitute? And we all kind of go, well, it's church people. And Jesus says, y'all, come here, come here, come here. Wow, kind of makes me lose my judgment, doesn't it, you? Because she was redeemed by this great God, and she was there early in the morning, came to the tomb and found it, found it uh, that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. You know who that was? John, the very one who was writing this. He said, oh, by the way, I was the one he loved. I was writing it. That's what I said. Yeah, I was the one who loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and returned and, and reached to the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw that the wrappings laying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, and he went inside. And he also noticed that the linen wrappings laying there while the cloth had been folded that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from in the other, other wrappings. Now you say, well, what's that about? Now I heard a preacher say this. That other cloth was saying that Jesus was coming back. No, you know what that was? John giving you details of an eyewitness. John said, well, I saw it. I saw the linen cloth, and I saw that. It, it, I'm sure that when John was preaching this, Peter goes, oh, that's right, brother, I was there. Laying in the corner, somebody asked me the other day, is that the Shroud of Turin? Probably not. 
artifact. But John gave us that detail because he once said, I saw this. This is not hearsay. This is not a myth out of history. This is not a Greco-Roman made-up mess. I saw this. The linen, the cloth, I was there. I saw it. Then the disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For until then, they had still didn't understand the scripture said that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and, and as she, she wept, she, she, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot, place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Now, people have asked me that. Why didn't she recognize Jesus? Take up, she'd been with him. Did she recognize him? Have y'all ever gone someplace and ran into somebody and you saw them, you knew them, but you didn't know you knew them where, where they were from? It might have happened to you at H-E-B this week. They said, it's Jesus, y'all, at H-E-B. You know, she didn't expect to find him because in her mind he was dead and his body was gone and, and there is this random dude standing there. So she thought he was the gardener. Who else is going to be in the graveyard than the gardener? And so she thought he was the gardener. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you take it away, tell, him, tell me where you put him and I'll go, I'll go get him. Mary. Mary. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she recognized the risen Lord. Of course, she went back and she told the other disciples, and they didn't believe her. Why? I'll tell you why. She was a woman. They didn't believe her because women were so de-emphasized in the ancient world that they could not be trusted. And Jesus was saying, I came first and showed myself to a woman prostitute because I destroy your social norms. Hmm. And then the Lord appeared to them. You know, I love this. And John, it says, first thing Jesus shows up, he goes, y'all got anything to eat? I love Jesus. I'm hungry. Y'all got anything to eat? Yeah, they were like, what do you feed Jesus? Anything he wants, right? <laughs> and so this evidence of Christ coming is so overwhelming and so compelling. And so let's trace it down. Let's look at it, that he is the God who gives you hope and his resurrection has set you free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me, that it'll not be my words or my thoughts, but your word, your thought, that helps your people understand clearly who you are and what you desire of them. And I thank you that you're faithful, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I invite you to take out your bulletin. Your bulletin is full of all kinds of useful information. We've even given you a bookmark that kind of tells you about upcoming events, like guys next Thursday, we're going to have a fish fry, just so you know. Many things listed there, but you want to take down some notes. You want to jot some thoughts down that you can take with you today. Now, here's the first thing that I want you to understand. Easter shows that we have a God with whom we can relate. We don't have a God who's distant and far off, who's unaccessible. 
He is a God who lives among us. In fact, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That Jesus, the incarnate one, the one who has no beginning or no end, put on flesh and lived among us because he is accessible to us. And Easter shows that he's the king of life, the king over death, and the one who's come near to you. Now, I don't know how you've grown up, but some of you may have grown up believing that God was the man upstairs, and if you needed him, you'd holler out, but other than that, just leave him alone. You didn't want to tick him off. In fact, you really didn't want to call his attention to yourself. I remember my mother telling me when I was a teenager, Scott, you're taking Jesus with you. And often I wanted to say, Jesus, wait in the car. I'll be out in a little while, okay? But, <laughs> but the truth is, he is accessible to us. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive mercy, and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I love this. John's gospel shows that says, fully God, fully man, knows where we fully live. He understands us. In explaining this, the, 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 the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ is, is a mystery that, uh, goodness, it took 500 years, 500 years for theologians to finally agree on this truth of the gospel. I don't know if y'all know that, but a lot of the things we believe have been hashed out by learned people over the centuries to say, what is true? What is scripture really saying to us? And this is what he's saying to us. We have a God who knows us. I was talking about this the other day and, and, and there was somebody, they had trouble with it. They went, what? That Jesus was tempted every way we were. He was tempted to gossip, but he didn't. He was tempted to slander, but he didn't. He was tempted to be drunk, but he wasn't. He was tempted, now get this one, you're going to go, huh? He was tempted sexually, but he didn't. Why did he go through all that temptation to relate to you? Now, some of you go, whoa, 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 Scott, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, I got all that other stuff, but when you talk about Jesus being tempted sexually, it just got creepy. Yeah, you think? But Jesus says, no, I've gone through this because I'm, accept I'm accessible to you. I'm the one who says you could come near to me because I understand where you are. I understand your brokenness. I understand your, your malady. I understand your sin. Yet I have not sinned, but I understand you, and I hold you firmly. And the author of Hebrews says, now you hold on firmly because you're held on firmly. Hold on firmly to what you believe because you're held on firmly. We did something this week. We posted our values up on the wall because I wanted you to see what relational values we have that we hold on to firmly here. That these are the things. This is not a normal church, y'all. In fact, there ain't no such thing as a normal church because we don't have a normal God. We have an extraordinary God who relates to us, who holds us, who lived in sinless perfection even though tempted as we are, tried as we are. And he responds to us, I love this, with mercy. 
mercy. I remember my grandmother saying, Lord, have mercy. Y'all remember that? Somebody in your family said, Lord, have mercy. Usually because you've done something. And she was, she was saying, the only one's going to have mercy is the Lord because I'm going to have retribution. I, I hate it when my mama says, now you go in that backyard and you break you off a switch. And if you didn't get the right one, she said, now nah, I'll go get me a switch. It's like, Ugh. You know, if you switch your kids today, you're going to jail, but not back in the 60s. But the Lord speaks to us with mercy. Now, it doesn't let you off the hook of what you've done, but his mercy gives you grace to undo what you've done. Wow. Jesus is the only one who says, you might have been this, but now you are this. You once were called that, now you're called this. You once were a prostitute, now you're a messenger of my resurrection. Wow. This language of mercy is the language of heaven. When God brought the Hebrew children out of Egypt, he instructed Moses to build a tabernacle, a place for God's dwelling. Now, God didn't need a place, but he said, I want you to build a place so my people can see that I'm dwelling with them. And in that tabernacle, I want you to build an ark. And in that ark, I want you to put the symbols of my covenant, the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron, that's the priestly rod, the the direction of God, and a jar of manna to show how I provided for you. The law of God, the leadership of God, and the provision of God in the ark. And in the ark, he said, I want you to build two angels that are looking at each other with their wings extended so they, the wings would almost touch. The wings extended over, over and they'd put a little gap. And at the, at the bottom where the wings so much touch, around the top of the ark, I want you to put the mercy seat. And at the mercy seat, the priest is going to come in once a year and he's going to put the blood sacrifice on the mercy seat. And you know, when Moses went in to talk to God, God talked to him from the mercy seat. The language of heaven is mercy. Not judgment, not condemnation, not sin, not shame. Oh, he convicts, but his conviction leads to repentance, and his repentance will lead to redemption. He speaks mercy to us. Easter is a loud cry from an empty grave. I have mercy on you. And when you face the most cataclysmic times of your life, I have mercy on you. When you stand at the grave of a loved one, I have mercy on you. And one day when death comes to take you by his cold, outstretched, bony finger, Jesus slaps it away. I have mercy on you. Because he's accessible to us. Wow. But he's also the God that redeems you. He's the one who steps in when you cannot step in for yourself. He is the one who redeems you. Let me read for you what scripture says. In John three sixteen. you know this. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Paul said it this way to the church in Corinth, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, interesting, contextually, when Paul said that, he was talking about sexual sin. Don't give give yourself to sexual sin because God's bought you with a high price to honor God with your body. 
Don't do what the world says to do. Do what I say to do because I paid a big price for you. What was the price that Jesus paid? His life for you. It was an exchange. His life for you. No matter who you are, what you've done, how nasty and bent and broken you are, Jesus loves you. Loves you. When we lived in Canada, for five and a half years, we are five winters, we lived in Canada. And Canada, Canada's a socialist country. Did you guys know that? If you want to talk socialism, don't talk to Bernie. Talk to me. I can tell you about it because I've lived with it. <coughs> Everything was taxed. Everything. Gas was taxed, cheese was taxed, milk was taxed, eggs were taxed, soda was taxed. If you bought a can of Coca-Cola, it was taxed. In fact, they called it a deposit, that you would pay a deposit for the can, for your milk carton, your orange juice carton, your Coke can, whatever kind of pop can you had, you were taxed over that. And you had to, when you go to the grocery store, you had, to, you had to pay for it. If you wanted to get a grocery cart, you had to pay a dollar to get a grocery cart. If you wanted a bag, you had to buy a bag. It was Austin on steroids, y'all. <laughs> and so we're, and what we discovered after a while, you know, we were paying, and, and I remember Tara and I complaining to each other, they put a deposit on Coke cans here? Are you kidding me? We got to pay extra whatever for, because we bought a case of Coke. We got to, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I remember Tara going to the grocery store one time, went right after the first move. She says, I'm not buying anything. It's too expensive. I said, baby, we got to eat. You just got to suck it up and pay, you know, the queen her due. So, but then somebody told us, you know, you can, yeah, y'all, don't you know, you can save those cans, you know, and you could take them to the bottle depot. Bottle depot. What in the world is the bottle depot? It's a place where you recycled your stuff and they would pay you to bring your cans and bottles in. So you would bring it in, and whatever you paid, you would get a little bit back because they would recycle it. Now, it's typically a place where immigrants worked. Canada was a land of immigrants, and it was an entry place, and it, it, was, it, it was vile and disgusting. Not because of the immigrants. They were wonderful and awesome, but it was, it was just nasty. You got soda and milk and orange juice and all the, the yucky refuge, and you know how your kids are? They don't finish anything, and you just throw half a Coca can away? It was at the Bottle Depot. And it was a sticky, nasty, ooey, gooey place. And Tara and I would sack up our bottles and cans and our trash bags, and we waited till we got a big bag full or two bags or three bags. Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. <laughs> I'm choking off the rest of that, but anyway we'd take it to the Bottle Depot. Now, Bottle Depot is a place where you sanitize in, you sanitize while you're there, you sanitize when you leave, and you put some more on just in case. It was just nasty. Jesus is our Bottle Depot. He takes my broken, nasty, vile, filled, sanitize in, sanitize there, sanitize out, life, and he gives me back. Not Canadian change, but life change because he's the God who redeems me. And he's the God who redeems you. We all need Jesus. All need Jesus. This costs Jesus everything to gain nothing. And the nothing in turn is turned to everything because we are the redeemed. The prize of heaven 
is you. It's you and me. That's the power of redemption. Jesus told this to Martha. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is the God with whom you can relate and who redeems you. But here's the last thing. Jesus is the God who then releases you, brings you into himself and redeems you in order to release you to be the hope of the world, that you might be a viral effect on our community of love and mercy. You are not saved just to get into heaven. You're saved to live heaven here on earth. Wow. To live in freedom. John said it this way. If the sun sets you free, you're truly free. Free indeed. Free indeed. To quote Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Free at last. Free <clears throat> to love and be loved. To love the unlovable. And to be loved in return. Free to, to build a great relationship with my wife because I'm, I'm, I can love her and she can love me. We can love our children. We can love our grandchildren. We're free. We're free to, to know and be known that I don't have to hide in shame. I can live in transparency and authenticity and openness because I've been freed. That my misery does not have to confine me. My misery can turn into the ministry that defines me. That my mess becomes the message of God. The next series we're going to do is on, about Moses, how God took a mess and made a message. How God took a life and he rebuilt it. I, I think it's a message for all of us. It starts next week. That God is the God of rescue and he wants to turn you into a rescuer. That he gives you and identifies you as redeemed. And then he releases you to live in freedom. Free to, to forgive. Because I've been forgiven, I can forgive freely. And then in that forgiveness, I can restore now, some folks I can't restore because they're crazy. But I can love them from a distance. And I can forgive and not be held bondage by my emotions. I can live free from fear. Y'all ever worry? Anybody ever, ever worry here? Nobody worries here? We'll change the next series on lying, won't we? Huh? Do y'all ever notice that things you worry about at night are really not as bad as you think they are? Everything's worse at night. Wouldn't you like to be free from that? God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. Because that's what the empty tomb says. You're free. Fear not. Our greatest enemy is death, and he's been defeated. Fear not. Fear not. Free to live in hope. Free to live with hope, because I'm living with Jesus that he releases me to live all for Jesus. I wear a yellow bracelet. I've got two on. One is the plan of salvation, and the other is, uh, is it says all for Jesus, the yellow bracelet on. Uh, my friend Nelson, Nelson, hold up your arm. Nelson, hold up your arm. He, Nelson wears two bracelets. One's black, and it says all for Jesus in Spanish. And the other one's yellow, and it says all for Jesus in English. Nelson, say all for Jesus for us in Spanish. Say it one more time. That sounds like some kind of exotic coffee drink, doesn't it? 
but that's so beautiful. Because in Spanish or in English or in Croatian or in, in Hindi or, or in, in Kazakh or in whatever language you speak, Igbo, Rondon, it's the same. I can live all for Jesus. I can live all for Jesus. But you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This week, we have pastors coming from Central America, Costa Rica, Colombia, um, Nicaragua. They're not coming from Nicaragua, but we have representation there. Cuba, again, couldn't get the Cubans here, but we have representation there. Mexico. And we discovered this that the cure for the social ills of Central America is not the government. It's King Jesus. And when King Jesus' church is healthy and strong and vibrant, society changes. So we're going to build a cartel de Jesus to change the culture of Central America all for Jesus. Who do we think we are? bunch of Hispanic pastors at a gringo believe King Jesus could change the world. That's who we think we are. The cure for the socialists of America is not a Republican or a Democratic candidate, not socialism, but King Jesus. The cure for Texas is King Jesus. The cure for Wimberley is King Jesus. The cure for your home is King Jesus. The cure for your heart is King Jesus. That's the cure. And he is risen again to release you to be the hope of the world. Wow. Easter is not just about Jesus, but it's about you living all for Jesus. It's a dark, miserable, rainy, nasty day that broke into a glorious display of a rainbow in a graveyard. And there's a rainbow in a graveyard in Israel that has not left the earth. And that hope still shines bright. And it says to you, come to me. Give your life to me. Let me live in you. Let me give you my hope because I'm alive you can now live. That's Easter hope.